Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Radio Radar episode 59. Surprise! Final Fantasy 15 is an actual game that is out in the world. We have played it and we talk about it exhaustively. We also take a look at the new base building update for No Man's Sky. We talk a little bit more about Dishonored 2 and the fact that the middle of that game is brilliant, but the ending is not so much, which leads us into a long-ranging conversation about the best game endings in video game history. Listen on. Everybody get up. It's time to slam now. We got a real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance. Oh, your that's why I don't. The Space Jam. Okay, I'm like, I don't even know this slow jam. That's why. All right. Come and slam and welcome to the jam. Come on. That's uh, that's some beat poetry worthy of an EA conference. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you about our three social pillars. Social, connected, and social connected. Uh, this is so inside baseball, but it's so funny. Oh God, it hurts. Everybody, that's, that's how we learn about Mass Effect games. And now you're learning about other kinds of games because this is Radio Radar, episode 59. My name is Anthony John Agnello, and no, I am not a media trainer teaching people how to speak clearly and definitively you can't see it but my hands are up never let your hands fall below your elbows because that is how you talk about ea's three pillars of social mountains car guy football guy and soccer all right no uh, and Robot Man. And Robot Man. We have uh, a, a fun show that is about real games this week, and that is uh, an amazing thing. Uh, we have executive editor Susan Arndt. We've heard your feedback. We've listened to you, the players. And we believe that our lineup is more exciting and dynamic than it's ever been. See, like, it's not that inside baseball because everybody listening to this has watched that's at true. least one E3 press conference. That's, okay, that's Everybody true. here has their own Andrew Howe imitation. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we would like to welcome you to an exciting future at PlayStation. Now, you might have been excited by PlayStation VR. PlayStation View. May I introduce to you PlayStation Fridge. It will keep your virtual foodstuffs cold and crisp and fresh in a social dynamic way that celebrates the history of PlayStation. So good. <laughs> Please don't send this to Andrew House. Everybody. Uh, we also have uh, Staff Roberts, Dave Roberts. What's up, man? Now, now if you if you look over here, you'll see how the dynamic range of colors brings out every single individual pixel of Nack's six-foot body. Is that Cerny? Is that... That's Mark Cerny. That, Cerny, you gotta get a little bit more nasal with Cerny. Oh, my God. A little more a nasal? A little bit more nasal okay. and be like, now, everybody knows that to get... You just yes. know, I think that it's less nasally and more new age. It's new. Yes, it's, that is it's very, It's very yeah. legato, very drawn out, very <laughs> sensual. Yeah. When he talks about the pixels it's almost as though he's gently caressing your ear 
He's, he's the Bob Ross of video game development. Oh my god, yes. yes. Actually, that, that... If, if Bob Ross made an app. <laughs> if, if, if Bob Ross committed the war crime that <sighs> is Mac. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, that, that person doing it Dulce, doing it sweetly, is uh, Sam Prout. What's uh, up, Sam? Yo, 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 it's your boy, Sam Prout. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, one of the, I'm one of those social media influencers here to talk about our EA games. It's so crazy. It's so hype. I don't oh even know. Oh, my God. Know. You are. You are Hoop God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hoop God? <laughs> Hoop God. <laughs> Hoop God. <laughs> Yo, dog, tell me about your ultimate team card packs and how you purchase your ultimate team car packs. Oh, okay, so I just had a I just had a really great idea I really want to kickstart now. Okay. It's going to be Marvel versus Capcom style fighting, but it's going to be games industry people. And on my team, I want a three-way tag team of Andrew House, Mark Cerny, and Hoop Gob. Yes. Hell yeah. Versus Peter Moore. And uh, Aisha and, Tyler and, and, and his tattoos. That's it. Aisha so, Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> you know and, how? Oh, and, and Mr. Caffeine. Yes, and Mr. Ca- Mr. Caffeine's the unlockable character. Oh yeah, like clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you guys remember how it, when you would get to like the final boss of the Marvel versus Capcom games, it wouldn't be like you'd have to face other fighters. It's like a giant thing that you have to fight. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like Galactus or, or Apocalypse. So when you get to the end, as all these guys, you have to fight Notch. Notch <laughs> appears <laughs> as like a screen-filling boss, oh, and there are two stages. There, you have to defeat his hat first. Oh, well, obviously. <laughs> and then you, <laughs> you have to fight Notch's head. Um, yes. Oh my god! Oh, this is the most I have laughed, and I don't even know how long <laughs> I needed this so badly. It's it's feeling good. It's feeling oh. carefree. Yeah. Well, this is Susan. This is a, this is a a magical week. We are we are in the home stretch of the nightmare landscape that is known as 2016. Mm. And as we near the end of 2016, wherein horrible, impossible things like David Bowie dying took place, and Prince, and Prince, and Leonard Cohen, and I, I, I don't, we can't we can't go down that road. No, we can't. Good impossible things are taking place. As you listen to this, you can walk into a store and purchase Final Fantasy XV. It is a real game that you can play on a real video game machine. And not only is it a real game, Dave Roberts has actually finished Final Fantasy XV. played it straight through and is now playing it again. Susan, you just started it. Yes. Uh, Dave, you first. How do you feel about Final Fantasy XV? How's it, how's it sitting with you? It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Roberts no, on brand. Like, on brand. That's uh that's my name. Uh no, it, I love it. Like it's it's like writing this review it was one of the hardest reviews that I had to write because it's a game that I know is deeply flawed and has a lot of flaws, it has a lot of problems the namely in the in the story and how it presents that story and its characters. But a it's story just about shows chums chums associates uh, dudes if you will yeah. uh friends or uh, the popular vernacular i think is oh bros, god stop it i want to say <laughs> i swear to god. okay look look i just i need to interge- i need people to understand where i'm at okay so one of my jobs here as executive editor is i edit most of the stuff 
that goes up on the site. Unless it's a news post, I have probably looked at it. So I have read every single thing that Dave Roberts has written about Final Fantasy XV. And there's a lot of things, man. And he has used the word <laughs> bros more than should be legal. Yeah. I'm uh, like you've used bros as many times as every single video game reviewer of all time has used the word compelling. <laughs> <laughs> and all I mean, I could start, I could start using visceral in, <laughs> instead. And they are your bros. Compelling. I'm not. I'm not yeah, arguing no, that point because they uh, are. Yeah. Uh, better this than Metal Gear, I suppose. Metal Metal but, Gear is just crazy. Uh, yeah. Metal Gear's just God. I broke your brain by the end of last I year. But that's not your fault. That's just Metal Gear's no. fault. <laughs> right? Yeah. This is outer heaven. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> where were we? How, how, how do you feel? How do you feel about this game? It is deeply yeah. flawed. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. No. It's like yeah. But it's just it's it's fascinating. It's weird as hell. It's it's the kind of weirdness. And strangeness that you don't see in a major AAA game with the kind of money that mm. Square Enix obviously dumped into this game. Like, there's there's the movie, there's the anime series, there are, like, three mobile games. Do the mobile games actually it's, can it's, have anything to do with the main game? Do they... Do okay, they... so Justice Monsters 5 is a mobile version of the little pinball game that's inside Final Fantasy XV. Okay. And then there's another game that's supposed to be coming out soon called King's Knight, which they refer to in Final Fantasy XV, but uh, it's not actually in the game. You'll have to get the mobile app to play it. But it's actually a remake slash reboot of one of uh, Uematsu and uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi's first video games that they ever made with Square. Wait, what? Like back in the 1980s. Yeah. I didn't even heard it's of the, this. It's the, it, yeah, it's like this uh, the RPG shmup game. Oh, no shit. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the MSX. That's crazy. What? Yeah, yeah. It's basically it's gonna be a mobile version of that. Oh, that's awesome! I I, yeah. I feel like such a nerd that like like I <laughs> I like really perked up. It's like whoa! It's a remake of an obscure early Square game from the eighties. Oh snap! I'm gonna be good at this one. Uh, <laughs> but not, like, <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Anthony. Uh, but yeah, like it was just it was it was really hard to write because it's the kind of review that you write that you wish you didn't have to put a score mm. on, because it's like, well, I loved this game, it's flawed in so many ways, but I still loved it so much that I think that like everyone should go out and play it. How do I put a four point five out of five on this thing? <laughs> even no, know, like knowing that, and like I hope I did a good job explaining why I think that. You know, it's it's still very much worth playing, even recognizing its faults. Mm. Um, and part the the two things that really got me Bridget through, agrees. yes, uh, are is is the combat and the 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 characters themselves, the four heroes that you that you run around as. Uh, the combat's really good. Like it's uh, a lot of people, I think, were worried that the switch from the the turn based to the real time combat was going to be uh, jarring. And like not Final Fantasy, but it still it still feels very Final Fantasy, even as different as it is. And it's uh, mostly because it puts the focus on party dynamics 
it's all about moving around this three-dimensional space and teaming up with your your party members and performing link strikes based on like like if you attack enemies from behind you'll team up with uh, a guy f- uh, who's like standing next to you and you'll do even more damage so you want to try to shift around the battle space and take advantage of your team members who are also running around and doing their own thing and firing off attacks and techniques and stuff. And th- there's like this really great sense of teamwork. Dave, and what and... control scheme are you using when you play? I'm actually curious about this for you as well, Susan, because mm-hmm. I've heard from some people that there, there, so there are multiple options for the control scheme. And I've heard that the default one is not necessarily the best for the battle system that there's there's an option where you can you can control your attacks with the triggers instead of the face buttons. Oh weird. And that makes it easier to control the camera while you fight. Oh, yeah, I I didn't even I didn't even mess with that. I didn't even know that was oh, there. Wow. So, yeah, no, I just I use the circle button and it's fine. I yeah. mean, like, you know, you 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 hold R1 mm-hmm. to lock on and the camera's a little squiffy, but it's it's good enough to to get you where you need to go and you hold down circle and you can warp in and out. Uh, it's, it is a little tricky and, and there's like, they've made a weight mode that actually seems like more powerful now mm. because uh, the version that I had, uh, it was before the 1.02 patch and that was before they patched in a separate grid for weight mode. And now that it's in there and I, I'm taking a look at it, it's like, Oh, if you turn on weight mode and you have this ability like it's easier to lock on to enemy limbs and stuff and warp into them and break them off. Mm. Like you'll do stronger attacks if you specifically warp in. Wait, and, you can uh, target body parts? Is that like on bigger enemies? I'm I'm still only in the very first area yeah. of the game. So like the the you know, uh, there are different monsters and different enemies that you can fight. Like the big mechs have different uh, like oh, arms I and see. legs that okay. you can attack. Okay. You, you just switch between them by uh, flicking the analog stick. But if you have weight mode turned on, when you stop moving, everything stops. So uh, you have this weight timer that gives you it's a generous amount of time, but you still like you can't just stand still forever. But you can look around, you can look at different targets, and if you lock onto them, you'll actually analyze them and get the full like weakness and strengths list up in the top left corner that Ignis sometimes does when he has the ability unlocked. So it actually gives you a lot more information and a lot more uh, opportunities to do more stuff. I didn't use weight mode, though, because I really liked just being in it and running around and warping and... Uh, pulling off attacks and stuff in, in rapid succession, but I mean, like it's it's there if you want it, and the game doesn't penalize mm-hmm. you at all if you need the weight, I, mode, which is which yeah, is great. So I, how like what are you? Where are you in experiencing the fights? Okay, because you're you're in that very beginning period of the game, right? So I want to make it clear that before yesterday, I didn't play anything associated with Final Fantasy 15. None of the demos, none of none of the nothing, right? Like I went in completely brand new. I highly, highly, highly recommend playing through the tutorials because it breaks... There is a lot going on in the combat. And the tutorials break down each individual element. Like, there's a tutorial on striking, and that goes... And that gets into not... It's not just hitting something. It's if you can get around behind it and hit it in the back, you can blindside it. And that does 1.5 times damage. Stuff like that. Then there's blocking. Then there's parrying. Then there's warping. It it really 
goes through each potential element that's involved in combat. So so you know what the range of things that are possible before you actually go out and try to do it. The game proper doesn't do that. Hmm. So by the time you're fighting stuff, you've got your, your your party members telling you to use techniques, and you're like, I don't I don't know what that is. What are you talking about? And the way magic works is so completely different in this game. Mm-hmm. Magic is a thing. It's an item that you a it hits everything. Like I was Wait, in an, when you say it's an item, uh, like like is it like an expendable in your yes, inventory it's, item? It's yep. consumable. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So huh. what you'll do is you will there will be environmental areas in the well environment, uh, and you will absorb <laughs> heat magic or cold or lightning or whatever, and from that you will craft basically. It's like a grenade. Dave described it like a grenade, and that's a very, very apt description. The more powerful you choose to make the grenades, the fewer you're able to make, right? Because that makes sense. And then the later you get in the game, you can combine elements and what, what, what. But basically, yeah, so you're making a fire grenade for all intents and purposes. Instead of casting Faraga and it's hitting your target, you're just going to throw a fire grenade, and whatever happens to be nearby is going to catch fire. That could be you. That could be your pals. That could be the bad guy. <laughs> like, eh, mm, it's kind of titchy. So, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, highly recommend doing the tutorials because the combat is nuts. Yeah, it's 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 a lot to take mm-hmm. in, and I think that it does a really good job easing you in uh, with the the first few quests. And like, yeah, what basically once you get the first cutscene and then you push a car down the road. Uh, you're in it. Like, there's yeah. no, there's no three-hour-long tutorial. There's no, uh, well, you gotta <laughs> go through all this, like, talking to people's That's stuff true. before you like get to the game. You are like, and to its credit and its detriment, once the game starts, basically after like five or ten minutes, you are in and you are gone. Yeah, you're, they're and, like, hey, uh, man, you gotta pay to fix your car. Go kill some shit. Yeah, and. Um, with the tutorial and with the way that it eases you into the, like the smaller encounters then sort of funnels you into the big encounter and then teaching you like oh well you know hey it's getting late we should go right. camp so right. now you can eat stuff and eating stuff gives you more stat boosts which you'll need to fight um, the more difficult monsters um hey you know there's this thing over here uh hey you know you, if you talk to this person and choose different responses you'll get different bonuses based on what you pick like it's really good at doling out the larger stuff within the context of the game itself and then breaking down the nitty-gritty in the tutorial which you can revisit any time right. just by pausing the game and right. hitting it uh, i have a question and so that that sorry if you, if you had more I, I have a question about the story but if you have more you want to say about the combat before we get into a totally different side of things no, i think we I think we think we it's, it's I, I know uh, as a lot of people were saying to me on Twitter, they were really afraid that the combat in Final Fantasy XV would be press X to win. Yes. I oh, thought, God. I, I, it's no. not. Yeah, it really mm-hmm. felt that way in the demos. Yeah. No. Not a problem. This no. is mm-hmm. The combat is something you are very much going to have to pay attention to. You are going to have to strategize. You are going to have to be very aware of where you are physically, where the other characters are, how much the technique gauge has filled up there is a lot of super crunchy information you need to be tracking at the same time. So yeah, not 
press X to not die. Trust me. Yeah. And, like, it it does seem easier than other Final Fantasy games in the sense that it's it's much harder to die than in other games because you have... So you have, like... It's kind of like a fighting game. You have two different health gauges. You have a normal health gauge and you have, like, a shadow gauge underneath it. And as you take damage, your normal health gauge goes down and you can replenish that with potions. But certain attacks... And also, like, if you lose all of your health, uh, additional hits against you will take down your shadow gauge, which means that potions will be less effective. Basically, it removes, it, it takes points off of your max HP until you replenish it with an elixir, which are more expensive. The, the thing is, though, is that, like, the only way to completely lose a battle is to have all four party members completely knocked out. Mm-hmm. And as long as one person is running around, even if they're sort of incapacitated, like their normal health gauge is down, you can pop potions, you can use Phoenix Downs, and uh, generally get back in the game if you have the items. What happens if you die? Time, uh, you just get booted back and you can load your last save it's file. Just, it's just the last save file, okay. Can yeah. you like? Can you go into wait mode and then say, I'm going to give Prompto a potion, I'm going to give Ignis an elixir, I'm going to warp over here to heal myself. Oh, like Mass Effect, or, or yeah. any Bioware game. Yeah. You, like, um, so, so, actually, in the active mode, when you hold down the right trigger to use items, all of the actions Oh, stops, oh, regardless. okay. Yeah. So you can, you can pick your potions and do all that stuff um, normally. It, in wait mode, you can do that as well. It's just, like, as soon as you start moving, so, like, when you decide to warp... Uh, the action oh, happens. I see. Okay. So, like, you, yeah, you have to do all of your item stuff, like, while you're standing still. But yeah, even in active mode, when you when you bring up the item menu, it it um, pauses the action, and you can also open up your weapons menu at any time and switch out uh, weapons uh, and gear mid battle. Oh. So it's like if if the weapons that you have equipped aren't working uh, against an enemy, like say you only have daggers equipped and they need a broadsword because they're like big and armored, you can just bring up your menu, go to your gear, switch out your weapons, and you're, you're good to go. Okay, so Sam's question yeah. about the story. Yes. yes. Uh, it sounds like, looking at your review, that the issue that you had before, um, when you did the 15 hours preview, that it really hurts if you don't watch Kingslave and the anime still holds true is that correct yeah so like i don't think that you need to watch those things necessarily to enjoy the game but if you want to make sense of anything that happens you need to watch them because there's no like there's no codex the game needs a codex it needs something that like that you can a menu that that you could open up and to look at like okay well who is this person why are they important why like cuz cuz a lot of characters they just show up give a couple lines and then disappear for hours at a time like important villains in the game I, <laughs> important like for me bark, bark, bark. oh my god dog. they they have a lot to say about final fantasy i'm very sorry hold on <laughs> so but, like uh, for me watching kingsglaive i don't think the brotherhood stuff is as important because the characters that are with you all the time really th- their banter and the comments they make and even just the way they work towards each other react towards each other informs you about their character so i don't think you need brotherhood mm-hmm. as much it's great supplemental content but i don't think you need it but watching kingsclave just to keep all the names straight 
Like yeah. Luna yeah. Freya and Niflheim and Insomnia. Jesus, Insomnia. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> you know, like, it, there's so many terms being thrown at you that it really, really helps to have that basis of, okay, wait, now I know who Niflheim is. I know who Luna Freya is. I know who's fighting who. And just so when it's presented to you in the game, you know what people are talking about. You're not trying to figure it out from the context, which they don't really provide. Yeah. Sure. And like, and and it would be an inelegant solution to have that codex to help out people who haven't, but it would at least be something because Final Fantasy 15 will just be like, oh, hey, here's this person. They seem important, but we're not going to explain why. <laughs> so uh, when you say and like, then, they, and then they're gone. Like, yeah. Like when you 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 mentioned that in your review, the ancillary characters will just show up, and it does nothing to explain who they are. Is it literally like a character will just show up in a cutscene and you won't even know their name? There's no introduction for them? Like, I mean, th- th- like you'll know their name and you'll get like a general idea of what they what they are, what they do. But it just it the way that it explains things is kind of obtuse mm. and doesn't go into the kind of depth or so like there there's a character na- uh, named Ariana Highwind and she shows up like twice in the game and the, like the way that they sort of introduce her first she's a bad guy and then later uh you have to go through a dungeon with her and then but the way that it explains how that transition happens is really clumsy and then by the end i'm like i, I still don't really know who you are or why you're here but oh, okay like i guess um and th- and that's like that sort of thing holds true for a lot of the characters. Like the, the like you'll understand broad strokes. Like the the emperor of Niflheim is evil, but like it never goes beyond really beyond that until suddenly it does, and you're like, wait, whoa, whoa, what? And then and then it's over. Um, does, and it, like it's really hard to explain these sorts of things without delving into spoilers. But um, well, does it and does I, it feel like? Obviously, like, we don't know how the story has changed over the many, many years that this game has been in development, but does it feel like a single story, or does it feel like a Franken story stitched together from multiple plot threads that don't get resolved? If I mean, like, the, some of the plot threads get resolved better than others, but yeah, it really does feel like... It does feel like a Franken story. Like, it starts out as this this road trip thing and there's uh you know th- th- there's some hints of uh calamity on the way and then suddenly you know the the empire invades and you're like you have to deal with that and then suddenly other stuff starts happening and it's like wait how did we get here what what is happening and then suddenly more stuff it, like it's something completely different that was explained in Kingsglaive but wasn't really touched on at all in the game is suddenly very important and you're like what what that's a back <laughs> then, of the box the quote the right there happens. and then suddenly other stuff happens <laughs> yeah 4.5 out of 5 uh, and again it, it's all very hard to go into right. without spoiling and I don't want to spoil everything on the first day that the <laughs> game is out but like it really does feel like just I mean, it's it's a game that was in development for ten years. It started as one game and became another, and we'll never really know how that transition happened. But it it clearly does feel like the result of too many cooks in the kitchen, too many different people with different ideas, and then like, well, 
Tabata comes in and goes like, okay, well, we have to put this together and ship it. <laughs> well, because – so the reason why I ask is because just looking at the promotional materials, because I also haven't played any of it, uh, Final Fantasy Fifteen seems to be these things to me. It's a road trip with your friends. Uh, <laughs> why is that so hard to say? Why? Why? It's like a, it's like a coming of age when... tale that's a, that's a road trip with your friends. It's a uh, prince coming into his own as a king because of his kingdom being in danger. It's a world ending like giant monsters are coming over and magic is taking over. It's an invasion story about a neighboring kingdom. It's about Noctis getting engaged and his uh, betrothed, I forget her name. But like all these different threads, like I can see how you could tie them together into one yeah. mostly coherent narrative. But there is a good story yeah. here. Okay. It is just poorly told. Okay. <laughs> and like, like many video game like, stories. You and, I, you and I discussed this when you were playing it for review. That is not atypical for Final no. Fantasy. I mean, it's not atypical not for JRPGs in general, but especially Final Fantasy. It's never been very uh, accomplished at clarity. That's never been. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, I, it actually reminded me a lot of Final Fantasy VIII yeah. when I was playing. Yeah. Just, like, how it's this we- weird jumble and mishmash of genres and ideas and stories. And the, you're, you're just kind of, like, nodding your head and going along with everything because you're like, whatever, I don't, like, this is incomprehensible, but I'm here for the ride. And, like... Final Fantasy 15 is that. Like it is the story is a hot mess, especially the second half of the game, which oh my god, <laughs> uh, it it like it is simultaneously one of the most bold and exciting sections of the game and also one of the most head-scratchingly baffling sections. Like I I don't think I've gotten whiplash more from a video game than I have in that last half. Uh, just because the the way that it strings you along the sections and it 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 throws these twists at you and some of you are like oh shit they're going there where was like holy crap i can't believe they're doing this and then suddenly like going oh wait this story important this story moment was never talked about before suddenly it's important wait plot twist what no explain and then you're just moving on um i love this game <laughs> uh, wait susan <laughs> i love it so you're much you're not you are not always compelled to keep playing games. True. You are you you are you you are in you have limited time for the video games that you're playing uh, in your leisure time outside of work and if something isn't clicking for you, you're out. And I know that for Final Fantasy, it's only like really recently that you've gone the distance with Final Fantasy games. Like, Correct. L- Lightning Returns is what drew you into this series. It in was a big it was way. thirteen two actually. Yeah. I only played oh, 13, it. Two. It yeah. was thirteen two. I had no intention of playing it, but I had to review it. Right. And ended up absolutely adoring it. And yes, the ending sucks. Let's just move past it. The ending is terrible. It's so it's bad. It's awful. It's so it is what a, ending? It is a hate crime. It's, that's just true. Um. <laughs> And then, yeah, and then Lightning Returns, which I loved and played twice. <laughs> right, right. So are you, do, like, I, man, I, I know that an hour and a half is not a ton of time with an RPG, but I feel like when you play an hour and a half of game, you know whether or not you want to keep playing it or not. Yes. And, like, you're in. You're, you're on board. 
I, I am for two, three really big reasons. One, it is a beautiful game. I mean, it is yeah. gorgeous. It's just a delight to look at everything moving, and mm. it, it, it's just gorgeous. Two, it it is not... It does not partake of the typical hippy-dippy Final Fantasy, and then they become crystals, and they're marked by the Lucy... <laughs> Shut up. Stop it. It's very <laughs> relatable stuff. It's a dude and his friends escorting him to his wedding, basically, and then and he's also a prince, and bad things happen, and he has to deal with that. That's really simple stuff that you can wrap your head around, Right. But mo and 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 the you know the combat is but it's cool and the enemy design is really nifty and I dig all that. But honestly, what is most appealing to me is this is the is one of the most positive, healthy portrayals of male relationships that I have ever seen in entertainment. Awesome. Because wow. if you if this if this were being handled in typical American entertainment. Like, one of the things, and this is something that Dave has, has brought up as being as really delightful about the game, is Prompto takes pictures all day long. And then as you're hanging out at night camping, you go through the day's pictures. And you keep the ones you like, and you get rid of the, the rest. And if this was a typical American thing, four guys going around, and one of them taking pictures, like, they would steal his camera at one point, take pictures of their dicks, or they would, like, there would be a whole series of pictures of things up their butts... Yeah. Right? Like it would be it would be that. And yeah. and these guys taking their friend to meet his his intended, it would be like, "Oh man, you're only going to have sex with one woman for the rest of your life." It would be all <laughs> drinking and getting laid and burping and because the notion of male friendship is something that is very much feared by American culture. You're not you're not allowed to admit you have feelings other than being horny. Yep. Or or angry. Pretty much. Yep. But yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's really funny. There's uh, Red Letter Media, the guys that do the like like one and a half hour long Star Wars movie yes, reviews. Yes. They have a great term for this. They they in an American made Hollywood movie, all of your male characters have to have a case of the not gays, where they're yes. constantly <laughs> proving overtly their heterosexuality. Yes. And their friendship is a friendship, and they don't want to have sex with each other, right? Because they're <laughs> bros. Well, no, that's and that's exactly it. And yeah. the idea that you can love each other is something that uh, that American culture is freaking terrified. Like women, we're allowed to express love for our female friends all the time. Mm-hmm. Men are not allowed to do that at all. Because, like, whoa, what are you, a homo? It's, it, <laughs> it drives me nuts. But Noctis and his friends are supportive of each other. They, like, they talk to Prompto like, wow, that's a really great shot, dude. Ignis, he, you know, he's like, I'm going to make up some really cool food for us. And they're like, wow, Ignis, that rocks. That's great. There's no comment about how, oh, that gave me the shits, dude. Or, oh, watch my fart. <laughs> There's nothing like that. They're, they're genuine people who love each other, appreciate each other's company, are there for each other, and it's a kind of relationship you just don't see between men in video games. Yeah, it, it, also, it, it sounds like it's also not... And I, I'm, you know, again, like I haven't started the game yet, but it sounds from your description that it's also not friendship that is purely defined by conflict correct because the only the only form of male friendship that you tend to run into in video games 
is not just like bros, it's soldier Correct. bros. We were in the barracks together. Yep. Yeah. I like, remember holding yeah. your hand. Dom, we've got to chainsaw these locusts apart, and then when you die, I'm going to be upset because you were my brother in war. Exactly, exactly. Like, no, like, these guys... I mean, they, the way they joke with each other is, is never, they're never trying to put each other down. They're never mocking each other. They're, which is, again, like the only, the way men in uh, American society are encouraged to show affection for each other is by taking the piss out of each other. Yeah. Like you're never genuinely allowed to say like, wow, you did that really well. It has to be some kind of backhanded compliment or sarcasm or something like that. Whereas these guys are just super genuine with each other and it's (laughs) great. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that is really, really, really exciting. It's nice to see that the promise that you saw Dave in brotherhood, like the animated brotherhood carried through. And that's that's that sounds like it's the glue that keeps this game together. Hey, everybody, if there's a little bit of a hiccup in your recording there, sorry about that. Our, our recording software crashed really quickly. Uh, we were right in the middle of talking about how Final Fantasy 15's uh, the, the, the tie that binds the game together is the male friendships that are not uh, broed up too much in the middle of it. And uh, Sam Prell uh, right before we had to stop those recordings, you said something that was really interesting about how this fact makes you want to play this in, in a much bigger way than you wanted to before. Sure. So um, as time has gone on and uh, my tastes in video games have changed, I found that different things are more appealing to me than others. Like it used to be that I really wanted, you know, super tight controls or really uh, exciting action or what have you. And lately, what I've been craving is just positive entertainment, positive portrayals and enthusiasm and happiness because there's so much negativity. And uh, uh, like Susan was saying, that sort of stereotypical masculinity that it's really just bogging me down. And as you pointed out, Anthony, I mentioned how the super bro-y, uh, attitude that Titanfall 2 had with its marketing turned me off of that game so much mm. that even though I keep hearing how great it is, I find it really hard to muster up the enthusiasm to go over to the store or the red box and rent it to check it out because I just don't I don't want to. I don't want to go there. <laughs> uh, it's really funny, man, because that game is so honestly emotional. Like, there is, there is no cynicism in Titanfall 2, which you would never suspect in a million... Even when you watch the intro sequence, where it's like, there's no bigger badass than a pilot. He goes into <laughs> war like a freaking sweet dude who kills everybody <laughs> with his robot pal. And, and then you play it, and, like, you're a schlub who meets a robot, and it's like, hello, so- soldier, we will survive this together as best friends forever. <laughs> and then he gives you a robot thumbs up. Sorry. No, that's Titan okay. Great. So, <laughs> I'll, pro- I'll probably give it a shot at some point. I just have to let that stink wash off. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I totally get you, Sam, because it did the exact same thing to me and it's still making me not want to play it. Right. But like, and, but you, Susan talking about how 
genuine Noctis and his pals are, how like friendly they are. And I've seen little clips pop up on my Facebook feed or wherever that uh, it's being advertised. And it's just just clips of like Ignis being like, hey, I made this delicious meal. And everybody's like, oh, that's really good, man. Or Prompto being like, everybody get together for this group shot. It's like, oh, I want friends. I want, <laughs> I want that joy in my life. That would be so nice right now. So There's no you... snark at all. There's yeah. n- it is a snark free game. You talk yeah. you saying that has been the single biggest selling point so far in like I already wanted it for multiple reasons, but the fact that you're saying that it's there's no snark, that it's genuine enthusiasm, it's a very positive portrayal of male friendship is the single biggest factor that makes me say I want to play this game. Hmm. It's so interesting to to find out that you know, this game opens with a, a statement that says this is a Final Fantasy game for old fans and newcomers alike. And I, I feel like this sort of this sort of lack of cynicism and this lack of snitty or snarkiness is also something that is classical Final Fantasy. I feel like that's something that like diehard fans of the series come to these games for. And it's not like I feel like Final Fantasy has this reputation of being like, oh, well, it's just, like, crazy-obsessed nerds that love Final Fantasy. Okay, and, but that's true. I mean, it's true that crazy-obsessed <laughs> fi- like nerds love Final Fantasy. I have an action figure of Fran on my desk <laughs> And right I am now. jealous of that action figure. <laughs> like, I really I, want I, it. I realize, like, I, I am the guy that walks around in a long-sleeve shirt that is... It's like Vincent Van Gogh's Starry Night, but it's Cloud looking at Midgar and the <laughs> oh mirrors in sky. Yeah, I'm that asshole. But like at the same time, I like the reason people connect to these games is that sort of emotional honesty and that uh, that that willingness to find strength in emotional vulnerability. You know, like for as batshit insane as these stories are, where it's like. Well, you need to dress in drag to save a flower girl from Space Hitler, and so he doesn't hit the world with a meteor. Or, you need to become the living embodiment of your father's dead dream so you can save a lady who makes dragons appear out of thin air. Like, Final Fantasy is always weird as shit, but the reason that people sort of get on board with the weird as shit, poorly told stories is that it's, they're filled with people who, who genuinely care about each other. And you get to see their relationships evolve and change. I, man, Final Fantasy fifteen sounds awesome. Uh, it's great. It, it sounds so. It, it is. It is a beautiful mess, uh, <laughs> and I love it. So, like, the, the, here's the thing. Like, I realize that you know, like talking about the future is always such a like a cliche thing with games. Like, you, you always the the last question the interviewer is always the so what are you working on next? Like, despite the fact that they're showing off that the game. They spent like five years literally toiling over, and you know we ha- always have to ask like, well, well, what's coming next? And I like this, even as hot of a mess as it is, it's still like it is a Final Fantasy mess, which is something that I love and I want to see more of, and I hope that this game does well, so they can make a Final Fantasy sixteen. Yeah, I I don't want this to be the last gasp of big triple A weirdness. Um, 
especially like with with Hideo Kojima, like Hideo Kojima will do his own weird stuff, but like Metal Gear seemed to be sort of the last one of the last vanguards of the sort of the auteur, strange AAA game development thing. Until we got Norman Reedus holding his ink, baby, right? <laughs> <laughs> with all the dead fish, got um, them dead fish in his ink, babies. But you know, even then, that like that's still that's. It's going to be a big AAA game, don't get me wrong, but that's that's still, like, it's a, it's a new franchise, it's unproven, we don't know. Like, Metal, Metal Gear Solid was, like, a big publisher with a big series that lots of people liked, and they got weird with it, and it was the same with Final Fantasy, and I hope that this game does well, so that way, like, we can get this kind of just brazen strangeness again with the kind of money that only Square Enix could dump into a project like this. And I hope to God that it doesn't take another 10 goddamn years for it to happen. <laughs> because, like, it's... Oh, it's it's wonderful. It is weird. Dave, it is strange. It is it is great. And... Bef- oh. Before you got cut off, uh, before, you were about to tell us how it looks on a PS4 Pro. Oh, right, Does, yeah. Is it... Is it Everything you dreamed of and more are all the P's present? So, it's less about the P's because... So, there are two different modes. There's the uh, the light mode and then there's the the high mode, which is like the sort of the high texture 4K mode. And um, before the patch, it was still a little rough. But since the patch, I believe the light mode, they've definitely smoothed out the frame rate. So, it's way less framey. Someone was actually asking me on Twitter... Um, uh, at L-O-T-R lore uh, on Twitter was asking me how the frame rate was, uh, wondering how stable it was compared to demos. And the normal version of the game, uh, I played most of it on a regular PS4. And, like, it's fine. The It, it hits 30 frames a second, but there, there are no, noticeable frame skips. Just, it, like, it, it looks a little choppy, even though it's running at a stable frame rate uh, at times, especially when you're, like, driving through the open world. Um, but on a PS4 Pro, on the sort of the light standard 1080p mode, um, the frame rate seems much smoother. Like it seems like a much more consistent 30 frames. Uh, the the high mode still has some issues, but I think there there's going to be another like Pro patch coming in December that is going to make the light mode 1080p 60 frames a second. At least that's what they're shooting for. So um, like it you know as far as like the the like you know the high texture shadows and the interlit like dude i can't notice that shit i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but i like like the the frame rate is something i can notice and the having that stability is nice Mm -hmm. i don't you know Mm -hmm. it's probably not four hundred dollars nice if you're just upgrading or whatever but i mean i know (laughs) i like it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I, I highly doubt that this is the last time that we are going to talk about Final Fantasy XV, especially over the next month, as more of us play it and as we move into uh, the the ye old awards season of video games. Game of the year, everybody! It's Recore. Sam will tell you. <laughs> Game of the year. I just is had Recore. I just had an aneurysm. I. <laughs> I've never, I've never in recent memory wanted to like a game so much and fucking hated it so much. Basically, over Black Friday and Cyber Monday, they were just giving copies of it away. They were just like, "Will you take one of these, please? Please have Recore." Um, so in the in the realm of games like Final Fantasy XV, that everybody was like, "Is it ever going to come out?" Our expectations are so high that I've developed a bile-based 
ulcer in my stomach uh, <laughs> is No Man's Sky. Yes. And while it has not received a pro patch, uh, it's so hard to not just keep saying bro patch, and like, <laughs> it's just not even funny. But it received a patch, and uh, it seems that the furor around No Man's Sky has, like, it's not as loud as it was, but it has at least died down to, like, a low susurrus on the internet. It's just like when you bring up No Man's Sky, everybody comes out of the woodwork and like, Fuck that game! I hate it! <laughs> Sean Murray should get in a spaceship and go explore his own infinite universe! But the update is the first really, really significant non-patchy, non-rebalancing update that they've done. And you got back in there, Susan, and you, mm-hmm. you, your arc with No Man's Sky was... You played it with no expectations. You freaking loved it. Yep. Then you realized that there was nothing to goddamn do, and you sort of fell out of love with it. And now you love it again. I didn't. I didn't fall out of love with it. It's when the way No Man's Sky was originally released. It asked you to do the majority of the heavy lifting. There was a path, a narrative path to follow, but all the stuff you did in between there was was on you. How much you explored a particular planet. Uh, whether or not you shut down space pirates, all that, you had to bring your motivation. And I did that very happily for like 40, 50 hours. But then I just couldn't do it anymore. Getting the next upgrade on the ship, just like I I maxed out the upgrades on my exosuit. I finished the Atlas path. I did a lot of stuff and I just couldn't sustain that self-narrative anymore. So I stopped playing it. I was like, okay, I will go back to this when they add something to do. And lo and behold... They have added something to do with base building. Now, the game does fuck all to explain this to you. (laughs) So it's still No Man's Sky. It's still No Man's Sky. So I am going to tell you what is up with the base building. Okay. First of all, when you find a planet that you like, you maybe like it because it's aesthetically pleasing. Maybe it's got great resources. Whatever. You have decided that this is where you want your home base to be. Okay. Each planet has what is called a habitable structure, that's what it's known as, on it somewhere. Sometimes when you do a planetary scan from orbit, it'll point it out to you, but not usually. But that is okay, because this update also adds a lot of things that just make the game a lot easier and more user-friendly. So when you're walking around outside on the planet, you push up on the D-pad, and that brings up your brand new construction menu. You Mm. can make all sorts of things. You can make a save point. So you can save if you're out in the middle of the field and you're like, I want to go have dinner, man. Not a problem. How Just novel. Make, I know, right? <laughs> like, make, make yourself a little safe point. Uh, I, if I recall correctly, you can make a thing that will call your ship to you wherever you are. Mm, nice. <laughs> now, if you recall, uh, in the original version of the game, you would occasionally go to a, a shelter or a base and there would be like a beacon at the back of it and you could hack into that beacon and it would show you where ruins are or where an intelligent life form is or whatever those are all gone but you can make one on the spot boom you got 50 iron not a problem signal booster done what would you like to look for and you can look for this habitable structure and it will point you right at it you go to it when you walk in the door there's a panel on the left would you like to make this your home base done On the right, and this is where it gets really good, there's a teleporter. Now, you know how when you go on space stations, if you pick the one door, that takes you into the shop, and the other door was where you would upgrade your uh, exosuit or what have you? 
Well, now, in the other door, there's a teleporter. You can teleport to your base from any space station. Different galaxy, doesn't matter. Five oh, galaxies over, what? doesn't matter. I yeah. thought that was technologically impossible, considering the vast distances between... <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's really great. So if there's a galaxy where it's like, oh, I need uh, vortex cubes or whatever, not a problem. If, as So long as you teleport from that space station to your base to establish the link, you can hop back there whenever you want. Your ship comes with you. So you can like, okay, oh, oh, I gotta go to the galaxy and go get some vortex cubes. Fine, vortex cubes. Come back, go back to your home base. You're good. So it's made getting around a lot easier. It's not like you stop exploring once you make a base. It just makes everything a lot easier. You can build containers to store your shit in. What? Uh huh. Novel. I know. I know. So, like, if you're like me, who has been hanging on to rare elements just in case maybe someday they're useful. Those freaking orbs. Right? Uh, what, yep. What, what, what? You can uh, put your Atlas Stones in there. You can yeah. put your Radnox in there. You can put whatever. Oh, my Each God. Each container only holds five things, but what? It, whatever. <laughs> so that frees up your inventory. So that's great. Now. Once you build your base, the very first thing you're going to have to do is hire a construction geck. It's always Wait, geck. Roll, roll back. Yep. A, a what? A construction. <laughs> okay, so the geck are the little frog-like looking guys. Okay. It's geck's right. the lizard from the video. Yeah, games. the lizards. So yes, and uh, there's one on every single space station. Each space station has a construction geck and then a different specialist. So no matter where you go, you can find a construction dude. You can't do anything else with your base until you hire your construction geck. Great. You build a terminal for him, which, like, you need iron for. It's not a big whoop. And then he's like, okay, we're going to build your science station. I need you to go get these supplies. And then you build a science station. And then your scientist says, I can teach you how to do this if you find me this. You get an armor. You get a farmer. And these guys all give, start giving you things to do. You don't have to if you don't want to. But, but it's an actual guide to activity. Yes, and they all, you, it's, uh, you have to have, your scientist is always a Corvax, your armorer is always a Viking, mine looks like a walrus, he's really very charming. <laughs> but it doesn't matter if you've learned any of their language, because they all speak English. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that's also very novel. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, they, they have personalities, and they're, they're giving you specific tasks to do, and it's just really cool and then you're on top of that you're building your base the way you want to you know do you want a straight corridor or a t corridor a square room or a round room do you want to put lights in it or or maybe some tables and chairs what do you want it to look like Susan, it, and it's the construction is uh, all very very easy too hmm. Hmm. uh can i ask that we have a regular uh Susan teaches tutorials series, <laughs> like just for every game. Yes. Okay, so what you want to do is you want to go down this hallway. And you want to pick up your gun. It's a good gun. Shoots lots of bullets. <laughs> it's a sucky gun. Don't worry about it. You'll get a new one. Yeah. So a, a relevant question throughout all of this is that I, I'm listening to what you're saying, Susan, and I'm like, yeah, that's great. I'm I'm very happy that these things have been done for No Man's Sky 
none of it would ever make me reinstall that game. Ever. That's fair. That's totally fair. I, and I, like, I, I'm wondering, like, I. So I, I, you and I talked about this this morning, in in part of the like being so sick of cynicism and so sick of sort of a dour outlook on things. Uh, we were talking about like being sick to death of like the internet group think around a game mm-hmm. and that no man's sky has developed and even before it came out that a air of negativity just plagued that game yes. like after the delays people were like fuck you you're the worst people on the planet for not releasing this game to me on the t- and the first date that i expected to have it and that carried over into the way that the game did not line up with what was promised in the marketing and the promises uh, by its lead design. Correct. And and that has spilled over into just a well of hate surrounding this thing that is not necessarily reflective of what it actually is. Like, people's hatred of No Man's Sky has very, very little to do with the game itself. And I, I'm curious as updates like this base building one start to emerge is no man's sky not going to necessarily find lapsed players who weren't compelled by the original gameplay but is it going to finally find new players is it going to find people that were like oh well i didn't check that out first because people said it sucked but now that sounds really interesting like do you think that this is enough to bring new people in i think that the 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 base building and, oh, and now, and you can also land on freighters now, which is mm. awesome. And you can buy them. You can buy a freighter. I think what's that... The be- what's the benefit? I don't know yet, because I didn't have 7 million credits, but I want one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know all the... I know that once you start growing food, you can use that to earn money, but I don't know if you have to, like, ship it anywhere. Hmm. I don't know how... I, I don't know anything about that yet. Um... The thing is, this has made me very uh, hopeful for, like, where this game will be in a year or two or three. Mm. Because the, it, it, I mean, it, it's just such a better game now. It's more user-friendly. It's better looking. It runs better. It makes more sense. Okay, it still doesn't tell you fuck all about how to play it. But it, it just feels more complete now. So what will the next update bring? You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm i very, very positive about that. However, if you, like me, got in on it in the beginning and then you played 60 hours or you tapped out because you're like, no, thank you, I'm not sure that I'm going to be willing to keep dipping back in every time there's a new update, you know? Yeah, yeah. But for new players who never tried it when it first came out and didn't experience it in that semi-broken state... I think that there will be a lot of enjoyment to be had now that it does make more sense. It, it has more to offer. It's a little more typical. Like it's got a little more structure to it, which is what it desperately needs. Because if it's not going to be, if it's just going to be like, do whatever, then it has to be something like a Dragon Quest Builders or a Minecraft that really sure. lets you shape it how you want. If you're not going to give me that, then you got to give me something to do. Because otherwise it's just like, that's nice. Yeah. Sam, Dave, are you are you guys ever going to touch No Man's Sky again? Nah. I, mean, like, <laughs> I don't need. I don't need. I bo- I mostly just wanted to see if 
Dave would throw up into his microphone. <laughs> no, uh, I, I mean, I don't hate the game. It's just, it, like, it got to a point where I realized it wasn't for me. Oh, uh, time has softened your opinion, my friend. I, I When that game came out, I, I, I think the words, fuck No Man's Sky, came out. Okay, you know, yeah, no, I mean, like, it's, it's total bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of games are. Yeah, that's true. Many, um, many games are. Many games are. I mean... What you are saying is intriguing me to a point where, like, I at least want to try it. But I sold my copy months ago, so, like, that's not happening anytime soon. Yeah, let me me be clear. If I didn't have a digital copy of it, which I just left on my PS4, like, I would not reinstall No Man's Sky to do this, personally. But, you know, it was still there. Yeah, it... I just, I wonder, like, what led them to think releasing in the state that they released it in was a good idea. Mm-hmm. I don't think they had, I am convinced they didn't have a choice. I am yeah. 100% convinced Sony was like, fuck you, we're releasing this You game. put it out, put it out right now. You don't, like, it's done. Put it out. Yeah, we, and, we yeah. need this in this quarter's financials. Mm-hmm. You're releasing your goddamn game. And, yeah. and that did what they wanted it to. It, it earned them a, a piping hot plate of money. Yeah. Uh, that game sold very, very well. I, I know that many copies were returned, but <laughs> it's... And, like, the other thing, too, is, like, I wonder what the, the sort of the conversation about this game would be if they had come up front and said, this is early access. And, like, the thing is, is that, like, PS4, like, Xbox One yeah. has their Xbox game preview thing, where people actually release early access games on there. PS4 doesn't have anything like that. Yeah, Sony's so, really scared of that sort of language and doesn't endorse or condone hardly any games that... But they released No Man's Sky! I know. Yeah, I know. Which is I basically... I, I understand where they're coming from. I, I, I there, is, there is a lot of fear on the part of people who spend money on video games of the words early access at this point. Yeah. Because for everything that you find that is, you know, uh, a, a long dark or a bro force where you're paying <laughs> for something that is like a game that you can actually play, there are also a lot of people on Steam who put out games, early access games on Steam, that is barely a functioning prototype and your money is gone. You know? Like, yeah. No, and I totally get that fear, but I also, like, it's, it's kind of disingenuous of Sony... To say, hey, No Man's Sky is a full, finished, complete video game. Which, I mean, I guess technically it was. But then for Halo Games to go like... I'm not sure that they did, though, say it was a full, complete, ready video game. I just think they published it. They're like, "I, I, I do not know this for a fact. I have no insider information on this. But knowing the way companies work, and knowing, like, if Sony is like... We're gonna. Our, our choice is to not have this money in our in our quarterly, or hanging Hello Games out to dry. I know what they pick. Yeah. Not. I mean, not because they're horrible people, but because that's a very easy business decision. It's not only that, but like, so if you if you look at Sony's history as a publisher, something that they do like clockwork is release one very very big game. 
at the end of the first fiscal quarter of the year, right when E3 hits. They've done it for the past decade. Infamous, it's a late May, early June release. Last of Us, it's a late May, early June release. No Man's Sky was supposed to be their big first quarter release right when E3 rolled around. And it was, that's always what they do. They're like, oh, well, we're gonna walk up on stage and we have this new game out. Look at our week one sales and all the people who were excited about it, and No Man's Sky got pushed. They had to push it to August. And so that was already kicking them in the pants for the rest of the year. As, you know, I, I'm right there with you, Susan. You know, we don't know that for sure, but it, it definitely caused problems based on their past history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, things that uh, did not cause problems based on past history are Dishonored 2. <laughs> Because its past history is, hey, that old game kicks some ass, and this new game kicks a lot of ass. We talked about Dishonored 2 a lot on the last episode, but since then, not only has Susan demolished it, but is she's in the middle of her uh, second playthrough, and I finished it as well. And Susan, I had the exact same arc as you, <laughs> wherein I went from being like, oh, it's good, it's good, it's Dishonored. If you want Dishonored, there is a Dishonored product for you out there. <laughs> uh, to getting to the middle of the game, the game is nine chapters long. The chapters five, six, and seven are so goddamn awesome. Four, five, six, and seven. Four, Four five, six, and seven. Yeah. That's right, that's right. Because uh, because uh, six and seven are, are two pieces of the same pie. Correct. The middle of Dishonored 2 is in in the pantheon of the first-person action RPG thing that Harvey Smith is largely responsible for and Ken Levine is responsible for in the Bioshock, System Shock, uh, your, your Deus Ex, your Thief, and your Dishonored. The middle three levels of Dishonored 2, I think, are the best substantiation of this game type I have ever seen. That is correct. Ever. It is... Uh, excuse my French... Uh, and I, I don't mean to be crass, but this is the only academic way to put it. Oh, God. It's fucking badass. Like, <laughs> totally fucking badass. Like, this is, and I know a lot of people will be like, eh, it's just, you're just falling prey to the hype. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. <laughs> the you don't, middle? And, and also, yeah, uh, Susan, you and I talked about this morning. Everybody, like, the, the critical consensus is like, yo, that mechanical clockwork mansion. Yes, it's amazing. But that's not even the best part of this game. It's not. It's not. It's not the best part of this game. The best part of this game is a thing called the Dust District. And I don't want to spoil this. Because we did we did a lot of spoilers for Dishonored 2 in the last one. And if there are people listening to this that may not have listened to the last episode, we're not going to give away things about the Dust District. Because it is so surprising and so elegantly wrought that you need to experience it for yourself. This is, this is a level where you really do have to do everything for yourself. Like, the best thing... Susan, do you keep on your mission parameters, your, like, mission icons that tell you where to go and, and what your goals are for the chapter? I do, but on, on my second playthrough, what I'm doing is I am taking the... Now that I have a better understanding of what my powers can do and what I'm capable of and, mm -hmm. and what enemies do and how they act... I am taking the time to fully explore everything. And I'm finding so many different methods of achieving everything. Yeah. Like, I'll yeah. get to the goal when I get to it. 
Sure. Yeah. And so my... I, I tend to leave mission icons on in the games that I play, mostly because I... You know, just the restraints of time, I like to critical path things a lot, you know? And uh, I, I don't like that habit, because sometimes I want to be able to discover things of my own, but at the same time, it's like I don't have nine hours to spend on a single level of the game. Uh, however, in Dishonored 2, in the Dust District, this is chapter 6 and 7, you are told that there are two individuals in this old mining section of the city that is just ravaged by dust storms because of overmining. You you are told that there are two rival factions that could, you know, sort that are that are vying for control of this since the evil duke at the beginning of the game took power of the region. And it says in in there are three things it says at the beginning of the uh, the level. It says find this one guy of this faction and bring him the leader of the other and he'll join you. Or, vice versa, bring the other leader to the other leader. And number three is find another way. And that's just what it says in the game. And I could not have been more excited or grateful for a mission parameter in a game than just find another way. Which is all you need to know. It's like It's telling you there are other options to you. You can do things differently than what we're explicitly telling you to do. So you know that if you explore, you'll find something else. You'll be able to do something, but it will not tell you explicitly what that other way is. And that was so cool. Like, and that's like, that's like the entire point of this game, right? The, the whole, like, you know, sort of find your own way. You know, you have these powers, so if you want to teleport up here and then never be seen by anybody, that's your option. Or if you want to go in and, you know, stab them in the neck and then stuff a rat, rat down their, their bloody corpse, you can do that too. That's Dishonored. But that extends it into a story place. And, man, I, like, every single character you meet in those two chapters has, like, what, two lines of dialogue total? Yeah. You'll meet a, you'll meet a, a person who is very active in trying to support the sort of fallen mining community and she appears for all of two seconds in in this level the first time you play but if you read not even if you read the ancillary literature like you can find all these books and letters and audio recordings but even if you don't see that stuff by the end of the level when she pops up a second time it just those brief lines of dialogue color the human landscape of everything you just did it's amazing and then there are chapters eight and nine, which oh, they're, they're, I mean, <laughs> it's it's funny because I can describe in great detail most of what happens in the Clockwork Mansion, in the Conservatory, in the Dust District, Dust District, and then in the Stilton Mansion, which are the levels that we're talking about. I had to see, like, I was struggling. To th like, okay, chapter one is the palace. Chapter two, I know because I've, I've done it so many times because I keep trying to find all the paintings. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, what the hell is chapter three? Oh my chapter God, three, is chapter three? Chapter three is the asylum. Yes, it's I know. And I'm like, oh. dumb asylum. Right, the <laughs> asylum. Like the, the, the stuff that surrounds the middle of that game, it's not bad. By no stretch of the imagination is it bad, but it just feels very ordinary. Yeah. 
it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I gotta do this, and then I gotta kill this person, and yeah, meh, whatever. You know, it's just, it's not, it's not memorable, it's well done, but it's very pedestrian. Yeah. Whereas the middle of the game is so special. It's yeah. so memorable. It's it's just remarkable. And like like I was saying, when you get into other games where it's like, there's different ways to approach things. There's like, here's the combat way, here's the stealth way, and here's the third option way, which like in Deus Ex is the hacking way. Yeah. There's... <laughs> it's the beard way. Right. Uh. Like, it's the bro way. And then in, in Dishonored, <laughs> I, like, even even if you want to go the combat way, like, we have a video up on the site right now, 80 different ways to kill <laughs> Kieran <Yeah>. Jindosh, <laughs> and it's just wonderful. It, the, yeah. but that's, and that's just, that's 80 ways to just kill the dude. We're yeah. not even talking about, like, if you want to break into the conservatory, you had to get into the conservatory for mission and number the cons- five. The conservatory, for, for anybody that has not played this, is like a, a, a an academy that sort of it, uh, it's Hogwarts for old people. No, 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 like, no. It's it's kind of like the Smithsonian. It's well, yeah, but there are like there are residents. There there is a student body. That oh, lives. okay, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so you've got to break into this building. There are so many ways to do that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of ridiculous. And all of them are awesome. And all of them and, are great. Yeah. Yeah. And none of none of them are either storm the front door or there's definitely a vent that you can fit in. Like <laughs> yes. there is no vent. Yeah. There is no vent into the conservatory. <laughs> a uh, nice human shaped vent to crawl right. through. With the like, conveniently I, loose cover. Yeah. I the way I got into the conservatory for the first time was I went into I snuck into an apartment in the city that the conservatory is in. And while I was there, noticed that there was a rock ledge like le- leading between this apartment building and the conservatory. And it a lot of the architecture in Dishonored 2 is very smartly designed so that you're not 100% sure if it's something you can touch or get yeah. to at all. And it, it like there's no clear path, so you have to really experiment with your teleport power and your your ability to jump. If you unlock it, there's an ability to double jump. And a lot of this stuff is like, well, can I get there? Oop, no, I can't. And now every soldier knows I'm here and I'm getting stabbed in the neck. <laughs> yep. uh, that happens constantly. But, you know what the best is? The best is when you successfully sneak past like six cards <laughs> and then you far reach right through a window. Yeah, right, right, through right a to the glass. glass. Yeah, and it's like I am a master of stealth. Yeah. <laughs> you always, you always feel like Wiley e. Coyote playing this game. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so I, I get up on this rock ledge and realize that yes, it can get me to like the first outer gate of this place, and then I can, I can leap, I can teleport onto another ledge, and there is an open window. Like there are windows that don't have bars, and so I did that. And crawled through the window, but as I crawled through the window, I didn't realize that all of the residents of this place have been murdered by witches. <laughs> and there are two of these these horrible, like, they're the worst sorority sisters that just discovered Wiccanism of all time. And there, there's two of them having a conversation, like, on a bunk bed right near the window that I crawled in. And they hear me immediately. And they just, like, boop! teleport right to my spot and they're like now you're on fire 
Enjoy <laughs> enjoy being immolated and covered with magic rats, you dumb princess. Yeah. And I was like, this is the coolest game in the world. <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. And that's that level. And, like, man, the conservatory, like, you go into the central hallway, and it's this big, beautiful, amazing room, and there are stuffed giant owls all over the place. And yeah. it's so awesome. And then chapter eight is about you storming uh, one of the Hollywood mansions from Grand Theft Auto V. That's it. That's all you do. You you walk in, and you just go into the building. Uh, but to... I'll, okay, but I'll I will give you chapter eight, which is where you sneak into Duke Bell's mansion. I'll give you that because the one of the ways you can resolve it is very very clever. Yes, cool. I, I agree with that. It, cool. That's a not it's a novel premise. It's just that the level itself is nothing. Very, it's like, very ordinary. It's very, it's very just, ordinary. Yeah. It, and then I, the last one, you go back to Dunwall, and it's just like, oh, motherfucker. Yeah, it's just... It's I remember Dunwall just, being interesting. Yeah. It's it's the, it's the first level of the first game with less interesting enemies, and then a big dumb boss fight. Yeah. Like, it is... It, like, I, I, man, I, I hate saying it, but not only does this game make you feel like you're playing as Wile E. Coyote, the game itself is Wile E. Coyote. This is him, you know, painting the tunnel on the wall, watching the Roadrunner go through it, thinking he can follow it, and then running face first into rock. The, like, the end of this game is so... And not narratively. The narrative wraps up beautifully. I actually think the story goes to a nice place. I agree. It's just that the levels are, are, are not great. Uh, and that, I, I feel like that is, that brings us to our, our final conversation today, which is, uh, endings are not easy to do in any medium. And it's very interesting to be talking about Dishonored 2, which has this brilliant middle sandwiched by a, a kind of soft beginning and a really milk toast ending. And then Final Fantasy XV, which has an ending that's sort of batshit insane, but amazing in its ambition. And, and we have two of the last big games of the year really sort of struggling to get across that finish line. And so my question for you three is what do you think is the best ending you've ever seen in a video game? This is your favorite. It's a game that you feel like it ends the best way that a game can end. Uh, Sam, lead us in, because I know this was a, uh, a, a sort of a tortured process for you. You had three and you had to settle on one. Yes, uh, real quick, my three were Tomb Raider 2013, Silent Hill 2, and Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. Oh man, hella choices. Yeah. And I picked Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater because it is the, I feel like it is the perfect place where you get the exact amount of closure that you want from the story, like... You know, people talk about expositional dialogue and uh, hand-holding and that games do this too much and they say, like, and then this happened and then this happened and this and this and this are connected. And it's a little bit too much sometimes. Mm. But I feel like Metal Gear Solid 3 hits this perfect sweet spot where you get all of the dots connected that you wanted to while it still leaves enough mystery that you can see how it interweaves and connects with the larger mythos without it being frustrating or having questions that, you know, bother you and itch at the back of your mind, like, but that doesn't make sense. How does this work with that? And that sort of thing. And 
uh, I guess, boss, boss's journey from uh, soldier to taking over his former mentor's place and seeing exactly what she really did, that final kind of twist at the ending as to why did the boss defect is this just really powerful moment. It's this palpable sadness and completion and I did not need Portable Ops, Peace Walker, or Metal Gear Solid 5 to understand how Boss could go from hero of the United States to one of its biggest enemies and wanting to found Outer Heaven Mm -hmm. because I got it. Like At that moment was a perfect moment where I felt what the character was feeling. I was exactly in his headspace and I didn't need anything more from the game. And the fact that it's like directed you know Hideo Kojima can be kind of up his own butt a lot about how he no. directs things <laughs> no <laughs> like he can be it can be pretty like oh look how great an auteur this look is look at how many movies so I've seen yeah uh, but this doesn't go into that it's just well laid out it's beautiful the score under well or um uh, the score sells it perfectly. It's just a really tight, nice wrapped up in a bow ending. And him at that him at that grave, yeah. and he like salutes and then like credit. Uh, oh god, man! Uh, it's not, it's not, right now. It's okay. not even just like the end of the story and like the final fight with the boss. It's just like everything you do over the last three hours of that game. Yeah, is awesome. The fight with Volgan and and the freaking motorcycle chase is so cool. <laughs> It's so cool. <laughs> game is still so good. Yeah, it's so oh, good. Man. I oh god, it's awesome. Uh, Susan, what is your ending? Mist. Ooh. Oh, because I've no- never seen that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's good. There. Okay, so there are actually three different endings to Mist. Uh, for those of you who have perhaps never played this game, the what the deal is, you are you. Pick, you touch a book, you pick up a book, you are magically transported to the Island of Mist where you find two other books and each book contains a brother. They're trapped and they beg you to bring them the color pages that go with their book, red and blue. And if you complete one of the books, the brother switches places with you and yeah. you are now trapped in the book and they're like, ha ha, sucker! So yeah. either way, uh, so red, or, so that's what happens with red and blue. But there's the then third option, where you uh, basically complete the book of their dad, who was the one who trapped them in the first place, because he knows their dicks, and he's like, "Son of a, sorry this happened to you," and he burns the two books that they're trapped. Oh, in. and it's awesome. <laughs> and it's perfect. And it, like it happens off camera too. So like, yeah! it's just, like I'm gonna go take care of something, and then like you walk back out, and there are just scorch marks. Yeah, and that's badass. it. And it's that's like super badass. That's the thing, because as you're going through the game, you I mean, obviously, because you think you're being helpful. And this guy's like, oh, you know, you, he can. Uh, it's like a, a, a radio signal or TV signal that it can't quite tune in. The more pages you get, the better the signal comes through. So mm. at first it's it, you're just desperate to help this person, whether whichever brother it is. And. He's, he seems like a really nice, lovely guy, and this horrible thing has been done to him, and then he turns out to be a 
late psycho. And uh, yeah, so it's a it's a deliciously vicious game, hmm. which you wouldn't think because it's just a you know one of the it's a pretty game that's a bunch of postcards and puzzles and. It, you wouldn't expect it to have this incredibly malicious undercurrent to it, but oh yeah, oh, it's yeah. mean. Yeah, so, like did you did you catch our stream with Robin Miller? I sadly at, did not. At the beginning, of, watch it because there is an enormous chunk where we just talk about the creation of the original Mist and its story and lore. And what I did not know at all is that all of the stuff about the guy and his two sons who are crazy and all of this is that Robin Miller had actually been writing a novel in college. Mm -hmm. And when they were developing Mist, they were like, wow, we still need a story to go with this place and these puzzles. And they were like, well, let's just use the story from your novel. And that's where all of that came from. Oh, snap! Yeah, and what's more, this this part sucks, is that the original novel is lost. It's gone. Oh, no. All he had, yeah, there were, no, like, it's, he can't find it. So oh. it's, it's, it's lost to time. Hmm. Which is a bummer. That is a bummer. But, yeah, it was pretty cool. Dave, you were about to say something about, no, just about like, Mist like, Enzing. That, that game, like, Mist has this reputation of being like, oh, it's for casuals. It's for, like... Because, you know, because it was popular and, like, normal people were playing it. So, uh, so yeah, so it has this reputation of being this sort of light and fluffy game that only casual gamers play. But, like, yeah, like you were saying, that I think that if people gave it a chance, like, holy shit, that story, like, it, it's dark. Yeah. Like, like, I was telling you that story. I wrote an article up on Games Radar. Like, I was 12 when I played that game. And I got the bad ending, and like I came face to face with my mortality and the infinite, <laughs> like the 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 pain of infinity. So suddenly at that moment, and like it gave me nightmares for weeks. Yeah, no, it's scary. It is legit scary. It's like it's kind of cheesy now. I think yeah, just because of like like FMV has come a long way, but like for a twelve year old kid going like. Oh, like, because the game doesn't stop. The game doesn't, like, close or go to credits. Nope. You're just in this book. And, like, as a kid, <laughs> like, my parents weren't home. It's dark. I'm just like, oh, God. Life the, life has no meaning. This is just, this is, oh, my God. And I'm 12. Yeah, because you're, you're like, but I was, I was doing the right thing. I was helping someone. And, like, it's your first... Probably, hopefully, your first uh, experience with betrayal. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's horrifying. Yeah, it's, oh, my God. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Dave, what is what is your ending? Okay, so, um, like, you've heard me talk about this game before, but I, I have to go with Earthbound. Oh, God, I knew it. And, but, okay, so, but here's why. All along, all across the game, you were trying to go to these, uh, these points, these specific points... Uh, they're like highly concentrated bits of like psychic energy that cause you to remember something about your childhood and you store them in the stone and you need to find all these points to go fight Gygus, who's this alien in the future who's going to destroy the world uh, and so what you have to do is once you get them all you talk to Dr. Andonuts who's like okay the only way that you can make the journey into the future to fight him 
is to transfer your consciousness, basically take your brain out of your body and put it inside of a robot. So you and your buddies all get your brains put in robot bodies and your little nest guy has the backwards cap still. So you know it's you. Anyway, so you're going along this final dungeon and you eventually make it to the end and the last boss of this relatively cheerful game is this nightmare monstrosity, like this Cthulian monstrosity of yeah. an alien. Like, like it, it's like unknowable horrors. D- Dave, and, describe where you're fighting it, too, because the setting is is insane. Yeah, like, I'm trying to picture it in my mind. It's, it's you're, like this... You're literally, you're fighting inside of what is basically a diseased human womb. Yes. Like, that is, that is what you are fighting inside of. Yeah, so this game that's like bright and cheerful and a dun 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 dun, dun, dun you like ride your bike, you got a little teddy bear following you around to take damage for you, and suddenly you come face to face with this unknowable horror, and none of your attacks work. Nothing works. <laughs> like, all of your hits are just, and, and he's just laughing at you the whole time, and you're like, oh, fuck, what do I do? And the only thing that you can do to beat him is to pray. So you just, you, you basically, you take your turns, you pray, you get hit a bunch, and you pray, and you keep praying, and nothing is happening, and you keep praying, and then suddenly you hear a voice, and all of the people that you've met along the way in your journey start praying as well, and reaching out to you, until eventually uh, your prayer starts causing massive damage against them, and then you finally beat him, and... It's this really great moment where it's like the, the realization that that no one person can tackle anything on their own. Like it, it takes a village to, to to you know to build kill Cthulhu. Yeah, to kill Cthulhu. <laughs> like to build you know to build a, a a real human like sense of togetherness in society. And then once you beat him, it doesn't just roll credits. You can go back to every single town in the game. Every single character has something new to say. So you can run around, you just leave, and everyone's like, yeah, we'll, we'll meet you later. So you just kind of walk around by yourself, and you kind of explore at your own pace, and then you head back home and uh, hang out with your mom again. That's awesome. And that's the end of the game. It's just, it's just, it's like, for a game that's as goofy like as it is heartfelt to have this this ending, this really incredibly deep end. Like, like I, I was reading through old reviews of the game, like, uh, Frank Cifaldi posts all this old stuff that he finds on Twitter, and there were a bunch of old reviews that he posted from, from Earthbound, and one was like, oh, it looks like a game for kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just like, yeah. like, oh my looks god. Looks like an NES game. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like, it's like Final Fantasy, but for <laughs> babies. Uh, game pro face. Uh, like, <laughs> yelling <laughs> game pro face <laughs> yes yeah, sad we just game pro use face. game pro face as shorthand will people know what we mean uh like, i think so we, I think yeah so. that 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 survives right game pro i face? think like there are enough uh older people like us around that i think will get it and i think that it's become a meme by this point that even younger people kind of get it also so. let's be honest anybody who tunes in for our slow jams every week yeah you know yeah yeah they know they know they, yeah. they know they know game profiles but yeah like that, that's why earthbound is has it, like it, it it's not only just a really good game up to that point the ending is just it's it's poetic i love Dave, it if you played have game. you played mother three i 
No? There's something about the fact that it's, like, I, I get, like, a chapter two in, and it's something about the fact that there's no, like, official way for me to play it on actual mm. Nintendo hardware. Yeah, um, yeah. That is kind of key, because, like, you know, it's easy enough to get a ROM and play it on a computer, but I don't want to play it on my computer. I'm not 13. Yeah, like, I, 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 mean, I, I, I I when I played 3, I went the distance and got, you know, I, I got one of those Game Boy Advance flashcards so that I could play it on an actual Game Boy Advance. And it was... I mean, even then, I still... I had the exact same feeling, where it's like, I'm not playing it the real way. Yeah. But, uh, given how much you love Earthbound, and especially how powerful you find the ending, that is a game that you should go the distance with. And okay. I'm not even, I'm not going to say anything more than that. Especially because, like, everybody keeps thinking that Nintendo is going to be like, this is it! This is the year! <laughs> it's going to happen! In English. It's ten years later! Mother 3! Mother 3 for Nintendo NX Revolution! Spring 20 billion! <laughs> uh, and I, I feel like now might be the time that it actually happens. And I, a lot of people are going to be playing that and they don't want to be spoiled. But I, I'm just, go the distance with that game. Do it. Like, okay. get there. Okay. Uh, Anthony, what is your my my ending? favorite ending? My yeah. favorite, my favorite. It's not my favorite because my favorite is Chrono Trigger, and we don't need to hear me talk about Chrono Trigger again. <laughs> we just don't. Well, uh, that would be an entire podcast episode. That would just be an entire podcast. So about how gonna... Gatto and his metal joints are. <laughs> yeah, Gatto awesome. and his metal joints, and and Robo, and all the Chrono Trigger. Uh, but the one that pops up in my head a lot is Wind Waker. I, mm, I love, yeah. love the ending of Wind Waker. And that that's another one where it really sort of writes the ship gameplay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey! That was legitimately oh. unintentional. I, I was like, I was not... Damn it, I walked face first into that one. Shit. Uh, yes, it writes the ship. Because especially like in... You know, the non-HD version, the original. Like, it's like, oh shit, we ran out of money and we can't develop all these dungeons that we started that are unfinished. What should we do? Make everybody sail across the whole world! That's still not enough. Make them do it twice! Uh, and so you have to sail across the entire world getting maps. And then you go to Tingle. And Tingle <laughs> reads the maps. And then you have to sail across the entire world collecting Triforce Peaches. It's a bummer. But then... The very last part of the game is you you descend into the sunken kingdom of Hyrule to finally confront Ganon. And not only is the final fight... Like, it's the best final boss in any Nintendo game ever made. Like, that fight with Ganon is awesome. Like, it's a a sword fight with tiny little Toon Link and this giant hulking Ganon. And Princess Zelda's doing backup with her light bow. And it's great. But what I love about it is that, yes, Earthbound has this wonderful emotional ending, but that's largely thanks to author Shigesato Itoi. It's not Nintendo itself. Most Nintendo games aren't very big on pathos. You know, you, you have some emotional beats, like at the end of Super Metroid, you have, you know, the, the Metroid sacrificing itself for Samus, or you have the ending of A Link to the Past, where it's like, oh, you, you killed Pig Monster, and now everybody's happy. It's great. Put the sword back. You're, you're done with that. Put it back in the woods. Uh, but, like, that's it. It's it's sort of very basic emotion. And I don't know. I feel like Super Mario's Sunshine's tale of lost parentage and <laughs> abandonment was 
really hit home. Super Mario's sunshine of uh, royalty and her weird Italian boyfriend going to the islands together where he's framed for murder so a lizard can kidnap her. Uh, that's the actual story of Super Mario Sunshine. But at the end of Wind Waker, there... Man, I, like, Ganon is not a figure that you're supposed to expect to have emotional complexity. Like, Ganon is, har har, I'm green, have orange hair, spread darkness across the land, grr, evil, war. Uh, but at the very beginning of that final fight, he, he just has his back to you. And he's sitting there talking about, like, when he used to not be a monster. And he's like, yeah, Hyrule. I lived out in the desert, it sucked in the desert, and I would feel wind coming from the better place, and I was jealous of that wind. And then you have to fight him anyway, because he's like, that's it, like, I've made my choice, I'm a monster now, I have to be a monster forever, and then you beat him, and you don't save the world. The world is not saved, the world of Hyrule is unsavable, and the king's final message to you is that, like, do not struggle to preserve something from the past. Lost glory is lost forever. Things die, it's sad. Go make your own world. The final line of the game is go find your own Hyrule. And I love, I love that sentiment. I love that at the end of that adventure. I love that moment. It's a wonderful landing stuck. And that's like, that's an example of a game where everything is uneven before that. You know, it's great. Sailing around is really cool. It's a beautiful world. But the dungeons are pretty uneven. There aren't that many of them. But man, it, it goes it goes to the good place. That, it, it ends very well. That, that theme about, you know, finding your own path forward and not clinging to the past is kind of uh, an interesting message coming from a publisher who would desperately <laughs> like you to buy right? an NES Classic for Christmas <laughs> this year. Yeah, so. well... I, lo I love Nintendo's business plan for the end of 2016. Oh, God, guys. We had to delay Switch to next year. We had to delay Breath of the Wild 2. What's our backup plan? I got it. We're just going to sell them the same old games. The same old games? Yeah, but it's in a really cool little box. All right. Cool. NES Classic. Let's do it. We'll make some money. Uh, ship them. All right. I shipped them. What do you mean you shipped them? You shipped them all? Yeah, I made five of them. I made five <laughs> NES Classics. And they're out there. <laughs> Wait, you only... Yeah, that's how we do it, man. We made five of them, and then next year, after the Switch comes out, we'll make 500000 when nobody wants it anymore. <laughs> Can I interest you in a, an amiibo of Animal Crossing? <laughs> no. No. Uh, no, I'm not. I, I, think, I think that brings us uh, to the end of this show. Everybody, uh, we will be back next week, uh, uh, Monday, December 5th, as we enter the the final month of this monster year, and uh, just a little teaser next week is we'll uh, we'll be back to talk to you about the Last Guardian, which is a weird real game. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's sitting on my desk because Susan was like, "I don't want that goddamn cat bird. Give it to him." <laughs> uh, and well, so they. <laughs> it's not exactly how the conversation went, but okay. Susan, my version of conversations is always, it's never exact. It's the spiritual version <laughs> it's the, of conversation. It's, it's, it's the, the soul of it. version. It's, yeah. it's the creative nonfiction. Yeah. He's got to brome up a little bit. Got to brome up. Yeah. Uh, get my bro patch, which is basically just a soul patch, but I wear it with a Kangol hat. 
All right, everybody. We'll be back next week. Also, uh, we will talk more about Final Fantasy 15 next week. Dave has some reader questions about Final Fantasy 15, and we will get to those on the next episode. So if you have any questions about the game, write in. Contact Dave at uh, at David Robots uh, on Twitter, and we will get those questions. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.